Good morning, everyone. It's, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, thank you for having me. It's a joy to be here in Redeemer. Um, it's great that Rachel, my wife, could be with us today. It's, uh, it's actually our anniversary today. Um, before you think that we're martyrs for coming and speaking, we just had two nights in Belfast by ourselves. We have three children. So we've been like skipping around the city like teenagers for um, yesterday and uh, having lots of uh, lots of fun. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, thanks for, for having us. It's been wonderful over the last year or so to, to journey a little bit with some of your, your leaders as well and get to know um, them a little bit and what's going on in the life of your church and you know, I just want to say that they are, um, they're brilliant. Yeah. Sometimes um, we don't uh, often just know how fortunate we are, I'm sure you do, to have uh, leaders who are humble and love the Lord. And I think the thing that really comes across when I meet them is how much they love you, how much they love the body of Christ here in Redeemer. And, um, and it sounds like the Lord is strengthening and doing something beautiful here. Um, he is um, perfecting that which concerns you, not just as individuals, but as a body, I think. You know, he is, he is, he is perfecting the Lord. Um, the Lord doesn't give up on us, sure he doesn't. He, uh, he sees us right through into his likeness, through the ups and the downs, and, um, and he's doing something beautiful here. And um, uh, getting to know your leaders a bit has been just a real blessing in, in my life. And... Um, um, praying that God continues to move you from strength to strength. It's a great thing about being a follower of Jesus, you know. There is a theology of more in the Bible. It's not just like a charismatic thing we say to make ourselves feel better, like more, more, more. But there actually is a theology of more. You know, it's from glory to glory. It's grace upon grace. It's line upon line and precept upon precept. It's in the scriptures. Yeah, we're, we're moving towards something. And God is moving you towards something, moving you closer to himself, but also, I think, re-articulating the vision and the mission that he's given you to uh, reach this city with the good news of, of Jesus. Um, I know that you are uh, following a theme called Practicing the Presence, which is a brilliant theme. Um, I love that kind of a theme. Uh, the book from Brother Lawrence is one of my favorites, Practicing the Presence of God. There's not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful, he said, than that of a continual conversation with God. Isn't that lovely? This, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Brother Lawrence, the little cook in a monastery who just practiced the presence of God. There's nothing more sweet, so there's not than a continual conversation with the Father. We've been invited into friendship with Jesus. Thomas A. Kempis, another one of those kind of greats in church history, said, you know, that we coined that phrase, that we develop a familiar friendship with Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that he doesn't call us servants? He calls us he calls us friends. He invites us into friendship with him. And that's why it's really important, I think, that, to do what you're doing, which is to practice the presence and to learn how to practice the presence of God so that it can be foundational in our lives because it's the foundational principle of our existence, really, to have uh, uh, an understanding of friendship with God and also then how we're formed more and more into his likeness, not just uh, I, not just as individuals. And I, I just think it's quite important for you to hear that this morning. I think that Jesus uh, wants to... Um, 
encourage you as a community today. So much of the spiritual growth stuff, which is incredible, and the spiritual formation stuff, which is wonderful, actually often can sometimes sway so much to the individual that we lose the importance of the church and what it is to be a people formed together, practicing the presence of Jesus together as the body of Christ in the world. And it's the body of Christ here in this local area, in this city that God has called us to be. So, so many churches, unfortunately, today want to be judged or marked out by things other than his presence, which is really sad, isn't it? And we can all fall into that trap, but so much of the church wants to be marked by how good our worship sounds or you know, how good our coffee is, or, or even how many people we've got. <laughs> but Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. There's something about presence that was the essence of how we're marked out as followers of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you on that idea of presence this morning. And I, I want to talk about that for a while. Um, for the first half of what I want to say, I want to talk and encourage you a little bit about our understanding of the presence of God. And then I want to talk in the, just the second half of what I'm saying this morning about how in particular God presences himself with us in times of suffering. I'm part of the 24-7 prayer movement, and um, I've been involved in it for, I don't know, 12 or 14, 15, whatever it is. So do you ever do that? You like just like say a, a number? <laughs> it's like, it could be 10 years or 15, but it's like, whatever. Like, we're married. How many years? Like, eight. <laughs> I'm only joking. I knew that one. So... <clears throat> And I'm, I'm, I'm part of that, that movement. And one of the things that we have learned is what we call the presence paradigm. Uh, the theme of presence running right through scripture, which is really interesting because we always really kind of uh, identified ourselves more closely, not really as the prayer people, but more as the activist people. We, uh, we were the people that wanted to change the world, that wanted to plant churches, that wanted to get involved in justice campaigns, that wanted to be kind of edgy right out there on the edge of society, bring in the kingdom and all of that kind of stuff. We wanted to be those kind of people, and we are in those, those kind of people, hopefully still. But Jesus had to really, really get our attention. It was almost like a bungee run. Do you ever do one of those bungee runs? You're like, we're going to change the world for Jesus. And then we realized that we were wrong running a lot of it in our own strength. And when we started to like talk about things and articulate things, it was actually our own anger and our own adrenaline or our own stuff and not really the presence of Jesus that we were carrying. And so it was like once we got to that bungee run, the end of it, we got like flung back because we actually realized that Jesus really meant literally what he said, which was without me, you can do nothing, nothing. You can't do anything without Jesus, anything that's of worth to the kingdom. You can't actually bear fruit unless you've learned how to abide in me. Mission without the presence of God is just marketing. It's, it's just another brand of Christianity. It's just another slight on something that looks half religious. And we can quirky it up whatever way we want, but if it doesn't carry the presence and the essence of friendship with Jesus, then it can't bear fruit. See, a branch doesn't really do anything. <laughs> sure it doesn't, which is always a bit of a challenge to me who's like running around like a headless chicken most of the time, right? But a branch actually just concentrates on abiding in the vine and then it bears, it bears fruit. And, uh, and so we had to learn this that my house shall be called a house of 
prayer for all nations. We call it, as I say, the, the presence paradigm. And by that, I don't mean just simply some individual subjective experience of the presence of God. That is important, and that is a beautiful thing, and we should develop a life that is that. But but biblically, to be presence people, indeed to be like God, to be a fulfilled kind of image bearer, is for that presence to overflow, for that presence to be multiplied, if you like, and stewarded well to move beyond the building. And so, really briefly, I just want to remind you of this. From the beginning to the end of the story, it's all about the presence of God. We see it in those opening chapters when God made man in his own image. He comes and he walks. He walks amongst us. Adam and Eve could hear his footsteps because he he loved the ones that he created in his image. And God has always been keen that the place where he lives and where we live overlap and interlock. It's always been his intention. We have kind of uh, dualistically, if you like, separated it. We're down here. God's up there. The sort of spirit stuff happens up there and all the bad stuff happens down here. And yet that's not really the biblical kind of worldview. God has always wanted where he lives and where we live to overlap and interlock. He's always wanted to dwell amongst us. In the original mandate we were given, I believe, as humanity, it was to, because when you read in Genesis, you talk, it talks about the borders of Eden, right? So Eden was bordered. And so I, I personally believe that we were created as human beings, as image bearers of God, to steward the presence of God, to extend the borders of Eden throughout the whole earth, to carry his presence into every part of the world, to be fruitful and to multiply to multiply blessing around the world. This is the part of who God is, the essence of who our maker and creator is, his overflowing presence in us, stewarded throughout the world. And of course, our own sin and our own idolatry screwed that up, really, that mandate. And so we found that rather than multiplying blessing around the world, we multiplied the opposite, didn't we? We multiplied sin and brokenness and not blessing, and the God of this age, the devil, polluted the world, and we played our part in that as humanity. And, uh, and so, well, well, God didn't abandon the world because the Scriptures say, don't do that, the earth is the Lord and the fullnesses are off. There was a sense in which God's very special, manifest, tangible presence, we, we lost that in some ways. We, we lost that level of intimacy. And in some ways, the story should have stopped there. Did you ever, did you ever notice that? Because it actually says God's, God's um, kind of prohibition, the one prohibition that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden was, if you eat of the tree, tree you will surely, what, die. But they didn't. <laughs> so there's, there's mercy right away, right? There's, there's, there's the mercy of God not giving up right in those first. The story should have stopped there. But it didn't. God in his mercy... The Apostle Paul would say he he pursued. And that, even though we lost something of that special, tangible, manifest presence of God, he pursued us. And he still started to show this to people. And so he, he showed it to Abraham, didn't he? I want you, I want this seed of blessing to come in here. I'm going to come down and pass through the torches. It's like God and Abraham, it's so intimate. It's like them getting married almost. 
it's nearly that kind of imagery. They're becoming like one. And, and I want you to steward this blessing throughout the world and for the world. And I love it. And, and then he, it does, he does it with Moses, doesn't it, as well? We heard, we heard about Moses already this morning. That God says to the children of Israel, I want to come down amongst you. I want to manifest myself with you. And we see it when he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. We see in a pillar of fire by day and by night and cloud by day. We, we see it when God says, I want you to build this big tent ta- tabernacle because I want to come down and dwell amongst my people. You know, it's, it's not like God's up in the balcony shouting down here, by the way, I love you. No, I want to come down and manifest my presence right in the midst of you. We see it in the tabernacle. We see it in David's temple. We see it even in exile, where it looks like God has left the building. And the children of Israel are in exile, but the voice of the prophets is that God is still here. God is still amongst you. And then we see it in Jesus, the localized, manifest presence of God embodied in a person, in a person, so that you could behold that presence again. You could behold it with your own eyes. What was lost, we could see again. Behold, John the Baptist, behold, look, the Lamb of God, the real manifested presence of God in our midst. And and Jesus fulfills what he came to do. And because of that, then at Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out in humanity. And we now embody the presence of God. What could be better than God in the flesh? What could have been better than, you know, than, than Jesus when he said to the disciples, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. That was always a conundrum for me as a young boy. I was thinking, like, how on earth could it be better that Jesus would go? What could be better than God in the flesh? The only thing that could be better than God in the flesh is God in all flesh. Is God in every single one of us who have surrendered our hearts to Jesus is the manifested presence of God coming and living in our hearts and amongst us as a people, be it the body of Christ. It's not just a metaphor, like the, the body. It's we are the body of Christ, indwelt by his presence so that we can partner with God in his dream for the world, his original dream, to fill the whole earth with his presence. And so, a couple of scriptures, Ephesians 1, verse 22, God placed all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything. Some translations say, all things in every way. Do you hear that? The fullness of him who fills all things in every way. Do you know what all things means in Greek? All things, <laughs> all right? Just, just to labor the point, right? All things. Do you, do you know that this morning? God wants to fill all things, everything. He wants to fill it all. Every broken, dislocated, fractured, empty void in you, God wants to fill. He wants to fill it all. In every open, broken void out there, 
God wants to fill. It doesn't say here he wants to fill the church. It says he wants to fill all things. But the way he fills all things is through us, through the people of God, through the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended higher than all the heavens in order that he might fill the whole universe. The whole universe. God wants to fill the whole, that was his original dream. And in Jesus, we can reestablish our place as the body of Christ, as the true image bearers that he wanted us to be, to steward and carry his presence into all the earth. That's why we need to practice the presence. Because I don't necessarily care. I, I do by nature of being a Christian, but I often not that well carry Jesus where I go every day. But that is the way that it's going to happen. There is no other plan. We are not waiting for some kind of sort of like parade of like these super angels to come down and finish Jesus's work for him. It's us. It's us filled with his presence and and so when we show up like this on a Sunday and we gather and we worship and we bless babies and dedicate them unto the Lord and when we bless our children and when we take communion together and remember the Lord and when we go out onto the streets and tell people about Jesus and when we go from this gathered place tomorrow, today to that scattered place where we go tomorrow as the body of Christ Jesus promises to be there. Because when we're gathered in his name, I will be there. I will manifest my presence. I will manifest my presence. I will come. I will come. All authority has been given to me, so I go. But yet, I will never leave you or forsake you. There's a sense in which Jesus is not here with the finish, okay? Because Jesus has finished his work. Jesus is, there is a man in heaven today. There's a man in heaven, Jesus Christ. He sat down because he's finished his work. But because of his spirit, it's as if he's still here. The real, resurrected, risen presence of Jesus living in us, never leaving or forsaking us in order that his dream can be established. And that's why as a community, it's amazing that you're learning how to abide in Christ, how to practice his presence, because that's what we bring. We can have loads of foliage, like that fig tree that Jesus cursed. We can look really busy. Loads of foliage. We can look really holy. But there's not much fruit. And the fruit only comes when you learn how to abide. And why would you not want to? Because you get to become one with your maker and develop friendship with Jesus. And in the end, we know, don't we, that God will have his dream. Because in the very end, I will make my dwelling place with man. Revelation 21. That's how the story's going to end. We know the end of the movie, but it's a real story this time, yeah? I will make my dwelling place. Heaven and earth will be perfectly married together. And that's what we're moving towards. And that's the kind of people that God is calling us to be. A presence people that overflow with his presence into the world. We carry a flavor or a fragrance or whatever metaphor you want to use. We carry that into the world in which God has called us to. And so... 
I want to encourage you to keep on doing that. I feel like God um, has special times for you as church together as you wait on him, as you waste, waste your time in him. You know, you know the, the, the woman that wasted the perfume in Jesus? It was costly to her. In the 21st century, what's costly to us in our kind of, you know, our time, isn't it? <laughs> our precious time. What about if we wasted some of that precious time on Jesus? What if we just worshipped him, surrendered our hearts to his lordship, let him come and form us into a people of his presence? That way we carry that then into the world in which we live. And and just for the last 10 minutes or so, I feel like what I want to say this morning as well is I want to say that while this kind of theme, this trajectory or theme of presence kind of runs throughout the whole scriptures that I've just tried to do in 10 minutes or 15 minutes here, there's like another layer to that, if you like. There's almost like, there's often a context for his presence coming. And what I've found in scripture and in my own personal life is that that context for God's presence coming is often suffering. Those are the times where he seems to show up the most. And even though his dream for us as human beings got completely destroyed and it broke his heart, that God is not, contrary to maybe the way some of us were brought up, God is not in heaven in a huff because we got this cells into this mess and then he just sort of sent Jesus to sort it out. God is actively and always has been. Not so much this kind of angry God who's just staying in heaven in a huff, but he is a grieving parent longing for the return of his children, and he will actively pursue them and enter into the mess in order to bring us out. In Exodus chapter 3, we see this a lot. Jesus turns up to Moses in the burning bush, He says this to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. Listen listen to some of the words there. I have seen their misery. I have heard them crying. I am concerned about their suffering. And I have come down down. So this is even before we get to Jesus in the story. God sees your misery. God hears your cry. God is concerned. It doesn't stop there. God comes down. Comes down. So whatever hellhole you find yourself in at the moment. He comes down. He comes down. <laughs> Isn't that good news? He comes down. He comes down. He comes down. He doesn't stay up there. He comes down. And so what we start to realize of this God of the scriptures is that he, the Jewish theologians call it the pathos of God, the God who voluntarily engages his heart with our brokenness, who feels what we feel. The only way I can describe it, do you ever, it doesn't even do it justice, but do you ever watch 
one of those things that feels like they're happening in slow motion, but you can't do anything about it. If your child watches and you like close their the door of the car kind of closes on their fingers and you're like looking at it going, oh my goodness, this is about to happen. It all happens in a split second, but you can't stop it. And you just like, ah, like you vicariously feel their pain. Like it didn't happen to you, but you felt it. Yeah. That's, that's the way God is only with much more richness and depth. And this is who the prophets would have talked about. They talked about the God who would be a husband to widows and a father to the fatherless. Isaiah would speak about a bruised reed that God would not break, and a smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. And then they would go on to say, actually, this one who is coming, this Messiah, this one who's going to come represent, he is one that's going to actually carry our sorrows and be acquainted with our griefs. This is the one who is embodying all that God is in himself, and he will bear in his own body, not just the sin of the world, but everything that's associated with the sin of the world, and all the broken that goes on in our lives to give us hope that in the most difficult and desolate and darkest of places there is hope because he is going to make all things new and that's my story some of you know it some of you may not um i when i was 21 i met a girl called Lindsay. fell in love got married when we were 25 it's a short story waited like did what God called me to do, like wait for that one and all of that. And uh, she came into my life and we got married and we wanted to serve Jesus together. And we stood at the front of a church and said these vows that God will be blown by the wind of God. Wherever you want us to go, we're going to do that for you. We're going to live wild and adventurously for you. And we, we got married and a, and, a, and a year after we got married, we found out she had a brain tumor. And the short story is that nine months after that, she died. And so I'm left after loving this person so much because she couldn't really do an awful lot. And so I experienced something of God's love that I'd never felt that I could experience for somebody else. Because when you have to love somebody and they can't give you anything back because they can't walk and they can't eat and they can't do all of those things. And you're trying your best to love them. And God, through all the prayers of all the people, loved me and loved through me, her. And I got to experience and glimpse something of, of heaven and then when she left, when she died, when she wasn't there anymore, all the object of that love isn't there. So what do you do with that? Because when you feel like you've touched something of heaven and then it's not there anymore, then what you're experiencing is a glimpse of hell being completely forsaken of the love that you once knew. And then what do you do? And then where's God? And then where's all the promises of God? Because God, you said, if I honored you, you'd honored me. And I tried to honor you and it feels like it just got shafted because I waited all these years for the person that you wanted me to love and all of that. And then like after 18 months, God, you, you take her. You just haven't worked out for me, God. You, you just you haven't kept your part of the deal. <laughs> all of that kind of stuff goes on and you're in a place that feels like hell and the sort of intimacy that we kind of know here in church when we like sing a nice worship song and all which is amazing it's not that kind of intimacy and you have to prove God is he really the God who he says he is or is he not does he come into the midst of your hell or does he not some of you are there at this particular time and it's not just like this 
kind of quiet, contemplative, I'll sit and look at my candle and hope that Jesus shows up. It's not that, it's a wrestle. It's like engaging with God like Jacob had to do in that night at the other side of the Jabbok River when he was concerned for his life and all it was was darkness and everybody else is living their life at the other side of the river and then there's me and God and we have a choice to make. Are you going to wrestle him? Are you going to hold on to him? Are you going to like headlock him if you have to? Are you going to do whatever you do and say, God, I will not let you go until you bless me? Or are you going to give up? Now, I'm not saying that in an insensitive way. Hopefully I'm qualified to say that because I wanted to give up, right? I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to do it anymore. I, but here's, and I haven't got time to go into it really anymore, but here's my point this morning, right? What my deepest testimony had to be, if I make my bed in shul in hell, even there, even there you will come to me. Even there I will find you. So the psalmist could say, even the darkness, <laughs> I love this, even the darkness is as light to you. Because here's the thing, it's not because Jesus can theoretically say that. Jesus has been there. You cannot go to a place any lower than where Jesus has already been. You can't. He who descended lower than anyone has ever descended. He who has went lower than anybody has ever gone. Has now ascended higher than anyone will ever go. You can't get lower than Jesus. My na- nanny Emerson used to say to us, our favorite verse, nearly every time you went in to her house, and most days when you came back out, usually with a packet of sweets, or hopefully a 20-pound note. <clears throat> she usually said, Son, do you remember that scripture? Underneath and all around are the everlasting arms. And then she used to say this, You can't get lower than his arms, son. You can't get lower. Now, when Lindsay died, that was severely tested. And I didn't even, maybe even believe it for a while. But I come to realize that in an eerie way, that's hard to describe, but in some kind of eerie way, <laughs> the presence of Jesus envelopes our silence. You see, we don't, under, we don't have this in the world, so it's hard to understand with God, but presence and silence aren't mutually exclusive with God. Presence and silence can dwell together really well with God. But we're not used to that in the world. Because when there's silence in the world, we freak out. We don't even know who we are. Because we're not surrounded by something with noise or people or whatever, you know. But with, pre- with God, presence and silence. And the reality is, sometimes we go through some stuff and the only adequate response to what we're going through is silence. And the sacraments. They're the only really adequate response to what we go through sometimes. Because no words would really heal it anyway. No explanation would probably make it that better, as difficult as it is, and as frustrating as tormenting as it is. But Jesus doesn't give us answers. 
because of what he's done for us, he gives us himself. He gives us himself. He comes down. And that is more than enough. It might not feel it, but it is more than enough. Bigger than all our explanations. Louder than all of the torments of our soul. Jesus comes down and he gives us himself. And he came out the other side of death as well. And so he's ascended. And you know what? It might not feel like this at the minute. But here's a prophetic word for you. If you know Jesus, right? I'm going to call it a prophetic word. And I'm going to borrow it from Julian of Norwich. Said this. All shall be well. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. If you're in Jesus today. And if you're not, you can be. Right now. Right now. Just ask him in. But if you're in Jesus, I don't say this in any insensitive way to invalidate the pain, right? But because of because Jesus has went lower and even you have gone, right? It's all gonna be alright. It's all gonna be alright in the end. He's gonna make it all new. All new. All means all. All things are going to be made new. And Jesus is making all things new. And you know what? In the midst of it all, he's doing something with us. Because God doesn't want to insulate you from what's really happening out there. And he doesn't want you to have just a, a, what I might be described as a sort of traditional just Sunday school faith that's, that's insulated and protected from the world. Because the majority of people out there and the majority of people all around the world, we're very privileged. <laughs> we're very privileged. And, and God wants through these times, it doesn't cause them, but through them, he wants to train our hands to war and our fingers to fight so that we can kick back some darkness out there and carry his presence into the world that God calls us to live. And so I want to encourage you as you, as God, what I feel God's doing, just this is my sense this morning, as we kind of draw this to close, I feel like God is is, is, is realigning your, your mission, your vision, to, uh, to reach your Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the world with the gospel. And in order to do that, both individually and maybe collectively at times, there's been tough stuff, right? But the reality was Jesus never pulled out the wool over our eyes with that one. <laughs> he kind of prophesied it. It's not one of those words that we love. To, In this world, you will have trouble. But he's overcome. He's overcome. Frederick Buechner, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Yeah, And so in all of this, God is doing something with us to cause us to become the people, the presence people that he wants us to be. And so I'd just love to lead you in prayer this morning. And then maybe the band are going to come and just close us with a song and you can take communion um, as, as they lead us.
Let's just pray, why don't we just bow our heads for a moment.